everybody. Welcome to the Five Heart Podcast. I'm here and Greg isn't, and I don't know why that is. <laughs> yeah, Greg, where are you, bro? What the hell? Nobody wants me starting this thing off, for God's sake. We're just going to start out with an ad here. <sighs> okay. There is a lot that happened in the last week, Dr. Offense. We yes. lost. We lost to a Sunbelt team. We fired our head coach. Uh, accusations have been thrown left and right. Uh, media members are backing away, running away, disappearing from Twitter, while other ones are coming forward. Where would you like to start tonight, Haas? Well, I have a nice list of notes um, <laughs> on different topics. The first is relevant to the game that we lost to a Clay Helton coach Georgia Southern team. Um, actually, three topics, sorry. Uh, the second topic is I have a list of 13 coaching candidates that if I was Trev Alberts, I'd start at the top of the list and work my way down. And then lastly, the critical factors of what I think a good hire looks like what in their background. Wow. I'm not going to get too deep into schematics because – if you know how to teach it and you hire good assistants who can teach it and you know how to lead a program and you recruit well and you develop, anybody can be successful. I'm not going to get hung up on scheme. I don't care about hiring a guru this go around. I want the best football coach and program leader that we can find. How, how, how many times are you going to say spider white banana? Well, ideally, I would absolutely love to have a new offensive coordinator that – doesn't have the uh, spider two Y banana verbiage in their playbook. I I would like to be up tempo and run fast. So one word play calls. Like boom. Like New England Patriots, you know, their four verts play was Bama six. So all you gotta do is communicate at the line of scrimmage as everybody's getting set. Boom, you go. Make your adjustments. You know what? You're gonna start in one second. I'm gonna take this comment real quick. Sam right. Manny says, John, I thought there was no hope. Well, there wasn't. Until Sunday morning or Sunday or whatever the whatever the time frame was, which they said, goodbye, Scott, goodbye. You've, you've conned us long enough and taken enough money. And uh, now there is kind of hope because I hope that the cancer has been cut out of our program and we can go forward from here all together, joyous, hand in hand. Although I you hope you've I washed your hands. I got to say this, and there, this is going to sound really bad of me to say as a Husker fan. When that kick sailed left, at first, my first initial reaction was anger. And then my second, like immediately after that, I realized what you said once upon a time, John, about Byron Bennett missing the field goal against Florida State. It doesn't even matter. Right. At that point, I thought it doesn't even matter. And when I went, when I was trying to fall asleep on Saturday night, I had my TV just going through YouTube. I was watching clips from highlights around the country. And what was recommended to me? The Scott Frost hiring press conference from December 3rd, 2017. So I got a good <laughs> laugh in there watching that for a few minutes before going to sleep. There is hope now because uh, the, the long con is finally over. Hey, look, another guy came and joined us. Who's this oh, guy? Ashley laid again, huh, Greg? <laughs> you know, uh, this is the week that my wife's out of town, and so I'm single parenting. 
And I All just got, thank you. I just got the third child upstairs in bed. Fingers crossed that we're not interrupted by the pitter patter of six year old feet. So I think what I, I miss? Don't, anything, anything yeah. happened? Any, anything exciting happened in the last two days? Yes. Witty no, banner. Witty we band. thought you were late because we thought you were out drinking with Scott Frost. <laughs> Margaritas, you know, in Scottsdale. I, uh, maybe, maybe I'm not that connected. Bush lattes at Big Sandy. It would never be Bush lattes. It would be Coors Banquets before it's Bush lattes. Oh, why you got, oh man. What? I just wow. complimented you, right? In a roundabout, very backhanded way. <laughs> No, and, and tonight, because I took uh, some flack last week for A being late and showing up with a beer, this is 100, well, you can't see it, um, this is 100% dihydrogen monoxide, so. Are you cooking meth in your spare time? No, I'm <laughs> drinking ice water. Oh, Josh Scott, is right. Josh Scott uh, doesn't drink fancy enough beers to hang with Craig. That's mm -hmm. the fact. I'm, I'm a beer snob. Josh knows this because uh, he's to blame. Ah. Well, well, Haas, before you got here, Haas outlined the entire show, and I was just going to be quiet and let him start talking. I have a lot of notes. As you he has <laughs> notes. I'm like Jimbo Fisher with his 10,000 notebook pages on the sideline. With... Do you guys listen to the Josh Pate podcast, Late Kick, that I recommended? No, no. He has the greatest analogy for Jimbo Fisher. One, he's on the sideline literally with like a thousand notebook pages in front of him. Not a single play sheet, just like a bunch of pages. And he runs an offense that expired in 2014. That's why you only muster nine first downs against a defense that gave up 63 points. The week. Wow. And I think Greg right. just expired. <laughs> okay, start talking about the Georgia Southern game. Wasn't that All right. the well, first thing on your list? We're going to start with the defense. Okay. Again, I'm, I'm getting to the point where I might be known as Dr. Defense now instead of Dr. Offense. Um, back to the topic of last week, AFC, automatic front coverage. Yeah, it's pretty evident that we don't use one in our defense. And that is really a lack of instruction during the week and a lack of preparation. If you notice when we're on defense, we don't align in any way to get an extra defender to the offensive strength. We're not plus one anywhere. We keep our safeties deep and too high. We like to have four down or three down with a stand-up linebacker. Linebackers perfectly spaced out. Nobody's mugging up to the line of scrimmage. Nobody's covering down completely on a slot receiver. We're leaving too much space opened up. So when we would try to align that way, perfectly balanced, they'll hand off inside the box and they'll be able to uh, rip us for seven, eight yards. When we don't, when we do try to fit into the box, that's what she said. Um, <laughs> what'll happen is they'll hit us with a bubble screen on the outside or a jailbreak screen. We need to get more aggressive defensively, and we also really need to change up our defensive philosophy and being more aggressive. You know, um, we need to incorporate more one gap. Yes, John. Okay. We, we have gotten rid of the head coach. 
Is hmm. this an Eric Janander problem, do you think, that we're not lining up properly, or is this a Scott Frost told me to do this thing? What I what I think is it's both. One, I think Chenander's probably very risk averse, like most defensive coordinators are. You know, don't get beat over the top, like we talked about in the podcast leading up to the season. Don't get beat deep. That's the number one philosophy. That's why we play so much cover four. The other reason, and I do think it could be an edict from the head coach. Hey, let's play conservatively. Let's try to keep everything in front of us. We don't have the edge rushers to, you know really get creative in the back end with our coverages, you know, meaning, you know, edge rushers, you can get pressure just with four, you can blanket the field with exotic coverages. So it'll be interesting to see if Mickey kind of takes the governor off of the defense, if it's not just Chenander's own risk averse philosophy. And uh, I would love to see us start mixing in some one high coverages against OU and getting an extra defender into the box and doing some more one gap principles um we do kind of, we do a kind of weird thing with tgog tgog two gap one gap which i'm not going to get into without having a whiteboard here um damn OU fan on the prowl here uh but yeah so without having an afc call built into the game plan we can't play anticipative defense we can't anticipate what the offense is doing we can't get extra numbers at the point of attack and then, you know, beyond that, basically, we're really going to be in a tough spot against OU because they're going to really want to run and have an RPO attached to it. So you really have to get disruption. You really have to get numbers to the point of attack, and you got to destroy blocks. Bob Diaco's favorite uh, block destruction. I'm going to uh, jump in here uh, as is. Josh had a question about the one high defense. Is the last time we had a one high defense when Randy Gregory was around, or, or have we seen him more recently? Uh, we didn't run it at all with Randy Gregory. We were still very much two gap on the defensive line, two high safeties. We were running that Bo Pelini, you know, pattern match coverage quarters out of a cover two shell. Uh, more recently, we saw Mark Banker ran it a lot because we were basically a 4-3 over front with cover three pattern match behind it. That's why you saw Nate Gary running so many, um, you know, fitting against the run so often in 2016, which he played a hell of a game against Wisconsin. That is a great joke, by the way, Josh. Um, <laughs> another commenter said, how is our eye discipline as a defense? That is a great question. Um, teams don't really pull a whole lot against us. They don't pull linemen very often, so we're, I'm not really noticing linebackers getting caught looking in the wrong area. What's disconcerting about that, though, is they're able just to kick our ass off the line of scrimmage with drive blocks, base blocks, running just duo and inside zone. And you're seeing, you know, Alabama and Texas Tech transfers on the defensive line getting pancaked by a bunch of guys from Statesboro, Georgia. From uh, YouTube, our, our YouTube feed, living in Omaha, David asked, uh, if we're not tackling in practice, what exactly were we doing in practice? Which is kind of a fair question. That is a great question. Um, they're probably doing a lot of mental reps. They're probably doing a lot of thud-ups where, you know, they're not going to the ground. And 
you don't you don't get ready for a football game by not tackling to the ground. You're not doing it every day. This isn't the Junction Boys in 1955, but you do have to prepare. You have to condition yourself physically and mentally for tackling and taking people to the ground. And uh, the OU the OU fans in our comments section, man. I know John told me to ignore the comments last week, but Frost never missed one tackle. He was here for almost five years. At some point, everything is his sole responsibility. Okay, Georgia Southern. Mm -hmm. What what happened, do you think? I mean, the defense was – why did they just score 45 points and uh, we look like an idiot? We never adjusted to anything they were doing. You know, we, we never tried to get plus one against the run. We never tried to, you know, devote a single cover down, an outside linebacker, a nickel, just covering a screen – it was always, well, you know, you might have to fit against the run if it's coming your way. And you also might have to be aware of this bubble screen or this hitch route. So you might fit into the box, then you might have to backpedal late back into coverage. And when you got a great athlete like Jojo Doman at that spot, he'll cover up a lot of crap that goes on. But when you're breaking in a few of those new Sam Nickel linebackers and they're not as good of athletes as Doman was, that's a big problem. Clay Helton circles around Scott Frost. That's something yeah, back in 2017 I thought I was never going to say. I I want to – that's a good question. Uh, Josh asks, uh, when's the last time we won the turnover battle and still lost? I mean, there, there were a lot of, dare I say, streaks that were broken – uh, Saturday night in Lincoln, the, you know, uh, anytime Frost, you know, a, a Scott Frost led Nebraska team to score 35 points or more, they were victorious. Um, I, mean, I, I can't think of them all. That's one of the big ones. Uh, I mean, you could go on and on about the one score games, but it, it was. Yeah. It's a good question. I don't. I mean, I don't know. We we actually win a turnover battle, which we don't do ever. Like it's not a. Uh, I went from watching the Nebraska game Saturday night to watching the Steeler game Sunday afternoon, and that Steeler defense came away with I think five or six turnovers. Um, it, it, but Nebraska has not for uh, a while been a a ball hawking defense. No, and. Uh... Was it Marquez Buford had both the interceptions? If I recall yep, yes, I believe so. He he had a rough start against Northwestern a couple weeks ago. He is going to be a great safety by the time it's said done at Nebraska. He is going to be very good. So that was good to see. But um, aside from those interceptions, we didn't gain a whole get a whole lot of disruption on defense. And you know, disruption can that's what leads to more turnovers and you know, sack fumble, you know, fumble up line of scrimmage. So it'd be nice if we could have uh, gotten some more disruption. And I think if it would have been more of those kind of turnovers, the, deep, the game probably looks a lot different. I'm not saying anything horribly insightful here, but it is what it is. I like how uh, Josh and Josh are having their, like, side conversation about streaks. There's collaborative learning going on here. <laughs> I, I want to talk. So, I 
when it's the third quarter of, of Saturday night's game, I think I had uh, put something on, on Twitter on the five heart uh, at the number five heart podcast on Twitter is, you know, where I watch the games and, and uh, share my thoughts and things like that. Good and bad. Oh boy. It wasn't a whole lot. There wasn't as much uh, good as there was bad, but I, I said, look, I, we all know what's happening on, you know, at, at the end of the third quarter in that commercial break or, or uh, quarter break, I said, but, Let's just keep the lights on, you know, like, and, and because it was, it was tough to, you know, and, and here's the thing. And, and uh, Brent uh, Venables in his weekly post-conference, he, he gave, you know, I guess respect or special nod to, you know, us, you know, Nebraska fans who continue to show up, you know, we are, the we're the perennial fool me once shame on you fool me twice shame on me fool me five years in a row you know we're a glutton for punishment um we're the chicago college football oh god that makes me sad on many levels uh (laughs) but uh you know as fans we continue to show like look that's why coordination exists that's why the five heart podcast exists is because we're all so passionate and when when the game ended when that when the the clock struck you know zeros through from the five heart podcast twitter i said you know what let's not wait anymore i i pulled a gif from the late 90s uh matt damon edward norton movie rounders uh, it's John Malkovich as the as the Russian, uh, and I'm not going to do his bad Russian accent, but he says, "Pay that man his money." I'll do it and for you. I said, "Let's let's his money. <laughs> let let's go." Um, uh, and 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 I we didn't know we didn't know that less than 12 hours later the announcement would come down. And initially, I was like, "Oh yeah, you know, gosh, that sucks. You know, it sucks for him. You know, I." Because as much as as frustrated as we were, and as much as we all knew we needed change, um, you know, we all wanted Scott Frost to be the guy, right? I mean, we, we all wanted uh, the the golden child to come home, um, and and to lead us back to the promised land. And it wasn't meant to be. And then when there's that separation now, when Scott Frost is out, and maybe we'll get to it. Um, but more and more stories are coming out that you're like, oh, maybe. And I don't know. I, don't, I doubt that any of this was addressed before I got here. But it's like, ah, no. God, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe this needed to happen sooner. You know, maybe, maybe, yeah. maybe oh, there sorry. needed to be a, a deeper restructuring to make sure that we weren't paying fifteen million dollar buy. You know, in, after week three. Yeah, when you've got when you've got a head coach who doesn't involve himself with the game plan process leading up to Illinois in 2021, because he's out drinking and gallivanting and drink, you know, till sunrise, and then he says that there aren't plays on the play sheet for an odd front, and Matt Lubick fires back and says, "Yeah, there are." That's a pretty big sign of institutional failure from the top. I mean. It's our, it'd already be bad enough to work as a name in name only co- offensive coordinator in college football. But if you're doing all the game plan work, your head coach isn't doing it, and then he throws you under the bus 
because he can't figure out what to call on the play sheet on Saturday because they come out in an odd front. That, I mean, I would quit on the spot. I'd basically, you know, that's me in his shoes. I'd tell my boss, you know, hey, GFY, pal. It's, um, we, we had a couple of good questions here. Um, one uh, about Chenander. And, and remember that, you know, when Scott Frost came here at the end of the, yeah, uh, 17th season, and um, we have Brian asking, you know, what are the odds with the bye week coming up? Chins might be packing his bags after the Oklahoma game because Scott Frost was loyal. I think we can say with the benefit of hindsight to a fault and brought his entire staff from UCF. Um, and, and I don't imagine, I don't in, envision a, a scenario where there's just not some type of, you know, deep seated conflict there, you know? Yeah. Um, to address that comment about where the chances of him packing his bags, um, John will probably know the song by Dan Fogelberg, Changing Horses. You don't change horses midstream. You've already had enough, you know, you've had enough upset within the program. Um, who's going to step into that role? Uh, Bush is a good safeties coach, obviously. Coach safeties for Aranda, like I pointed out last week. But in terms of really communicating the calls in and being responsible for the game planning, I think that uh, I think you got to keep chins all the way to the end of the season, and you part ways with them on, you know, I don't know, Saturday, the last Saturday in November, and uh, you just go from there. And because I mean, do I trust Dawson to call the defense? No, no. Fisher's never is been there, a coordinator. Is there any Mayor chance of fixing What's up? Is there any chance at all of the, fixing the defense? Let's I mean, say before Big Ten play. You could change your philosophy defensively. You could start to get into like, you know, being a little bit more one high safety, you know, one gapping more along the defensive line. But I think I think the big problem is we're just not preparing the guys very well Monday through Friday. You know, the game planning, the film, getting guys to anticipate what they're going to see from certain formations. Uh, very rarely, at this point in the season, you'll see it more, but as we go in deeper in the season, very rarely do you actually see an unscouted look, maybe one to three times a game. So it's not like, you know, they're just throwing, you know, you're seeing new stuff every week. You see a certain formation at a certain spot in the field on a certain hash, you can start to play into those tendencies a little bit. We don't anticipate anything very well defensively. I mean, when you see trips to the boundary, you should be anticipating they're probably going to try to isolate that single receiver to the other side against single coverage and you should be slinging a weak side linebacker underneath of his route or you should be bringing a safety over the top to help out if it's going deep we don't anticipate anything very well because we stay so freaking static at all times we don't want to tip our hand one way or another so there's just loads of real estate on the field that the offense can gobble up we're getting beat by pre-snap alignment i mean Aligning the right way is one-third of the battle. It's alignment, assignment, and execution. You can align properly, and you can execute your assignment. The only thing left is, you know, basically, are you a better athlete than the athlete you're going up against? If he's a better athlete, okay, he wins that matchup. It happens. 
I could want to beat Usain Bolt in a 100-yard dash. I can want it all I want. I'm not waking up tomorrow and beating him in a 100-yard dash, if that makes sense. So, well, how, you know, can, how did it get this bad, do you think? Well, honestly, I think it's always been this bad. Yeah. Uh, it was covered up last year with a lot of guys who had NFL potential and guys who had been in the program. Some of these guys were sixth-year seniors. I mean, at some point, just the repetition of going through it kicks in and you're able to, you know, know what you're doing. But now we're breaking in new pieces all over the board. We haven't recruited all that well defensively, you know, especially at the linebacker spot. The linebackers, are, I think, are the biggest weakness on the defense. Barrett Rude might be the worst assistant coach in the history of Nebraska football. And, I mean, come on. This is not a job – this is not a place where you cut your teeth as an assistant or you cut your teeth as a head coach. Now, do you, you know? think part of that – part of the problem is is because at UCF they just played – I mean, that whole conference is scoring. Well, yeah, and that's and where it, their entire philosophy came from. Right. You know – Get on them early. Get into a tw- onto a twenty-one zip lead, twenty-four to three. Take away their run game. You're not doing anything. To take away their run game. You just take it away because they're in a hole. Now they got to throw. You can stay back in deep coverage and just protect against the deep ball. And you know what they're doing constantly. The only time we've seen that work at Nebraska, the one time, is twenty eighteen Minnesota when we jumped on their asses twenty-eight zip right out of the gate. And they had a lot of good backs on that team. Muhammad Ibrahim was a freshman. They had, uh, oh, God, number one, Rodney something. I forget his last name. But they had some serious dudes. They couldn't run the ball because we got on them early. But that's the one time that it worked out here. So if we're going to win games going forward, we're going to have to run the ball 45 times a game. Yeah, and you actually – Successfully. Yeah, And, you know, I just want to address Matt Faust's comment real quick. Love Barrett (laughs) Rudis. He is not a good coach. And yeah, but yeah, segueing into the offense, a nice identity emerged against Georgia Southern. Anthony Grant's one of the best backs in the entire country. We haven't had a back like him, like I said last week, since Amir. And A.J. Allen, that vision that he has as a freshman, is a testament to how good of a running backs coach Brian Applewhite is. And Brian Applewhite's another guy I'd like to see be retained on a new staff because I think his recruiting in the state of Texas and just what he's done with these running backs so far is huge. But I loved what we were doing to incorporate the uh, inside trap play out of the shotgun, and Grant could bounce it, either take it right upside inside the trap or bounce it outside. And uh, using Thompson on designed runs, that's the kind of quarterback that you want, a guy who throws first and foremost but can move around a little bit. And then I still think Smothers should be brought in as a situational guy, short yardage, red zone, goal line, wildcat package. And uh, the wideouts, I think you saw how dangerous they are on yards after the catch. Again, it goes back to incorporating more of a spread passing game than a pro-style passing game and going back from there. Josh Hansen, run a counter. It's America's play. Everybody runs it, baby. Were you were you just he, he now were you just, were you just now reaching for a can of Copenhagen? No, I had my pen. I was pointing, pointing Josh. I'm, because I'm, I, I want to say this. I just want to say this out loud. In what freaking world 
is it acceptable for a head coach to stand on the sideline chewing and spitting during a national broadcast? I mean, it's football. A lot of coaches do it. You ever see Mike yeah, well, that, Minnesota Vikings with his pouch of red man? He keeps yeah, well, he sucks. He was a crappy coach, and he's gone. I mean, I guess I looked at Frost and I thought, what what the hell? You'd look like a guy that just showed up and didn't bother to shower before this. Yet I don't know. I, I think it matters. I don't think you should look like a bum unless you're Bill Belichick and you've won 18 Super hey, Bowls. Yeah. If you're at the pinnacle of your profession, you can dress or act however you want. And Josh Everhart gut it like a man. Yeah, I used to gut shoe spit when I'd be sitting in college classes because I'd forget to take one out and didn't have anything to spit in and it'd be uncouth to spit into a bottle in a college classroom so i'd gut it we have a lot of questions about the future uh matt asks do you think mickey can make enough adjustments to win some games and possibly sneak into a bowl game yeah if you can make adjust we're at one win right now if you can make adjustments to beat indiana that's two wins rutgers three Purdue's gonna Purdue's gonna tune us up like a piano. Um, steal one against Illinois. Um, go balls to the wall against Minnesota to hit four wins. Wait, would that be would that be your four or five? You know, God, ah, you get you gotta have to take down Wisconsin and Iowa, and then you know maybe. See what we can do against Oklahoma. I know these OU fans watching this live stream are really going to hate what I just said there. But, uh, you know, never say never. But if we can sneak into a bowl, I'd absolutely love that. I think there's enough talent on offense to do that. But I had somebody ask me the other day at work if uh, Mickey went 9-0 and and we were in Indianapolis on the first weekend of December if he would be retained. And I said, yeah, not only would he be the head coach, <laughs> he basically be Jesus Christ. <laughs> that is true. Uh, Minnesota, we just need to get a 14-point lead and maintain it, not onside kick. Yeah, that'd be ideal. That'd be ideal. And not let Muhammad Ibrahim, you know, just run through us like shit through a tin horn. So what, what was next on your list? Um... Well, I was going to talk about Frost and the Lubick situation, but uh, we already addressed that. Uh, well, let's, let's, get I, to, let's, I, let's get to one of these questions. Uh, how do you think the play-calling dynamic will work between Mark Whipple and Mickey Joseph? Uh, do you see more passing like in Northwestern and the first uh, half of the North Dakota game? I almost think, I, I, it, it, if, I, if I could, I hate stepping on your toes, Hoss. Um, go ahead, I, skip it. No, no, no. I, it, this is the, these things are. Uh, ah, sorry. Um, I I come from the uh, vantage point of you got Anthony Grant and it's working. Why wouldn't you lean into that? Well, that's actually what I was going to say. That's I'm glad that you said that. Um, an identity emerged against Georgia Southern. Anthony Grant's one of the best backs in the country. AJ Allen, hell of a player. A.C. Thompson showed that he can run on designed runs. I would really lean into that as being the identity. I think Mickey will let Whipple do his thing. I think that a guy like Whipple reaches the point that he has in his career by being pragmatic and not, you know, 
just wanting to get out there and spray the ball all over the yard. I mean, that's been his calling card historically. He loves the passing game. But at this point, it's, you know, it's the Apollo 13 mission. Let's do what we have to do for success, you know, strip it down to the nuts and bolts and find out what works. And I think you saw what works very well on Saturday. Will that translate to success against Oklahoma and the teeth of the Big Ten, you know, and Big Ten defenses? We're a little weak up front offensively to really, you know, be able to lean on that. But I also think that if we can really start to lean into running the ball out of the spread with RPOs attached to it, I think that this could be a pretty serviceable offense. Oh, my God, I had a question and it went away. I, I mean, no. Okay. Between Mark Whipple and Mickey Joseph, I mean, he's just going to let Mark Whipple run the offense, isn't he? Yeah, I would, I would have to assume so. Mickey's never been a play caller in his entire career. He's got a lot that's just been heaped onto his plate in the past, you know, four or five days. I think he needs to just focus on managing the game in game and running the program. And so I think, you know, if you want to run a trick play, you want to go for it on fourth and one, God forbid you want to call an onside kick when you're up 28, 17. Well, that's the executive decision of the head coach, but I don't think he's going to get involved with the play to play um, calling of the game. And David Gertis, did we hear the rumor about Frost ghosting Dylan Rayola? Yeah, I heard that Frost also loves a lot of margaritas. Oh, dear God. You know, okay, should we bring up we, – we need to bring up the Mike Elsting. I feel like people are just trolling me now about Craig Bull. <laughs> um, yeah, I do. I do want to address that – clip that video john that came out from uh uh severe and it it uh it painted x uh hcsf and not the not the best of light and i think in the in the last few days we've heard more and more of these stories um uh of um you know maybe somebody who who wasn't it behind closed doors wasn't who appeared to be in public i don't mean that to be like shady but but you guys know um Haas, i think you both know a little bit more of the ins and outs of this but but something about not necessarily always being around at practices and or, or is that what you were going to get into a little bit with the uh the lubic situation yeah i was gonna get into that and you know talk about severe you know saying he'd show up late for practice and you know just he put on a uh put on a presentation to the public of who he was and then behind you know closed doors in his day-to-day life he acted a different way and some people might say well that's his personal time you know he can act however he wants well most people aren't making five million dollars a year most people aren't the face of a university let alone the entire state and you've got eight months of off season interspersed with recruiting and spring ball you know of course but you've got eight months of off season and five million dollars annually coming into your bank account do all the stuff you want to do in the offseason. Like, that's why I thought it was very interesting when Trev said, you know, he wanted a coach with no hobbies. The great ones don't have hobbies. And that's true. The great ones have a singularity of purpose, and they have a rage to want to master their profession. They want to be elite. 
you're not going golfing three, four, five times a week if you want to be at the top of your profession. You're not drinking till dawn. If you're a salesman, high-level salesman, let's say, you're not ghosting a big-time client because you flew into town and drank too many damn margaritas. And if you did, you're finding a way to get an Uber over there and you're sobering your ass up pretty quick on the way over. You know, it's to anyone who's ever watched The Sopranos, I'm a huge fan of the show. Phil Leotardo says Anthony Soprano has no respect for this thing. Well, it's pretty evident that Scott Frost had no respect for this thing. It was all Scott Frost was all about what Scott Frost could get for himself. And I started hearing some of the stories back in 2019, didn't want to believe them. And then, you know, at some point there's just too much of a groundswell to ignore some of the stuff. And this is what led us to today you know, or Sunday, you know, more apropos. You have to be focused on the job at hand. It's a, it's a consuming job. That's why Nick Saban will not hire Scott Frost to go to the Nick Saban School of Rehabilitation. He doesn't. He doesn't have the work ethic. He doesn't just have. He doesn't have the respect for the game, and that's pretty evident. Do you, th- do you think his career is over? You know, I think he'll sit out for a couple of years. I, I do think that, and I think if he was smart, he'd go get himself either a Pac-12 offensive coordinator job where he can live in relative anonymity because most people on the West Coast. They're not going to be able to pick out their school's offensive coordinator when he's out to dinner or having a few drinks. Or go back down to a group of five and be a group of five head coach where football is a nice little pastime on campus, but it's not the big fishbowl that it is here. If you want to live your life that I, way, the best way to go. I'd like to say something to the, some of the comments. Listen, and, and Haas can corroborate this. We all know the comments about coaches with cheerleaders, coaches with boosters' wives, coaches with uh, some golf girl. Listen, 99% of the time, those things are bullshit. Those same rumors come out about every coach in every program everywhere. You can go back through time. Even Nebraska said, we have said the same thing about Frank Solich to the point everybody believed it. Carl Pelini, same problem. Pete Carroll at USC, Tom Terman at Texas. All of these coaches uh, have this rumor shit with women. And what I have to ask you guys honestly about that is, why do we have such a bad fucking attitude toward women that we think that they're just going to – what the hell is with you people that you think all the cheerleaders are just whores that they're going to go out with head coaches? That's just dumb. So if you're going to bring up rumors in the comment sections, bring up rumors that are about job performance and, and keep the bullshit about whether he cheated on his wife or screwed a cheerleader, keep it somewhere else because it doesn't belong here. And it, it's those rumors are, you know, they belong on, I don't know, a show. I don't even know what shows are on now. DMZ. Yeah, there you go. They belong on that kind of shit, but... Jerry Springer. You know, not, stop spreading them. They're just bullshit. Okay. Carry on, gentlemen. There was a comment that Matt Faust made about this job overwhelmed Frost, and that's a fact. And I will, I do agree with Matt that I do believe that the job overwhelmed him. And that was one of the big reasons why back in 2017 I didn't want to hire him because the small sample size of a head coaching career at UCF and just beyond, you know, the can he sustain this success 
long term over a period of time. It was, is he experienced enough to deal with the fishbowl here? Because as a player at Nebraska, I mean, he was talking about that stuff years down the road from when he played here about how he was treated, you know. And it just seemed like it was a situation where, hey, is this guy, you know, really cut out for this gig, you know. Would it be a better idea if we hired him down the line if he continued to be successful while he's more experienced at dealing with being such a big face in the public arena? Okay, what's next on your list, Toss? Um, I have my coaching candidates. Oh, my God. Of course you do. Go yeah. Before we do that. Before that, do you want me to get into the critical factors of what a successful candidate would look like? Not yet. I want to address a few other things uh, from the comments uh, that, that we have. Um, let's let's talk about them because this we talked about streaks before. What what about the notion or the possibility that hey, he had to go otherwise, fan support was going to start checking out. Oh God! I mean, yeah, I think yeah. That, that's a huge thing. I'm the only one who's local around here. You know, Greg, you're in Illinois. John, you're up in the great white north of Minnesota. And uh, yeah, people around here aren't. It's not the rabid following that I came to know when I first became a diehard fan in 2002. From 2002, probably up to 2012, maybe 2014, coinciding with the firing of Polini. People were rabid. Now people are a little bit more, I don't want to say divorced from it because people still care, but they're not as rabid about it. And so I think that it, I think that was a big part of it because I mean, that sellout streak's been on life support for years. I mean, it's artificially inflated. When Iowa fans say that, I'm like, yeah, I don't like Iowa fans, but yeah, they got a point. It is artificially inflated. And you know what I care about more than a sellout streak? I care about winning games. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's the only streak that I care about. Our traditions didn't make us great. The traditions became great because we were great. And that's what I loved about Trev Alberts saying, you know, championship habits. You know, I have a master's degree in educational psychology. Big part of that's how you develop expertise, develop talent, you know, how you accomplish, you know, anything within a domain. And what that is, is the component skills, the day-to-day -day building of being successful not we wore black practice jerseys so our defense should be great every single year well to hell with that our defense should be great every year because we have a defensive coordinator that knows how to game plan recruit and develop guys to play at a high caliber of football so like flush the door you know flush the door wow i mixed up some axioms there flush the toilet slam the door on the past and move forward it's like you know we got some ou fans in our comment section they went through the same crap through Gary Gibbs and Howard Schnellenberger and John Blake up until they got Bob Stoops. Alabama did the same damn thing. They kept trying to recreate Camelot for 25 years. And then finally it took Mal Moore saying, enough's enough. Let's just go get our guy. We don't care what Bear Bryant's grandson says anymore as a board of regent. We're going out there and we're hiring the best because we want to get back to what we used to be. So there we have it. Flush John, the door. John, the there's, there's, there's your new shirt, John. Hashtag flush, flush the door. The, uh, flush the door. <laughs> the I'm not even. I'm. I'm not even sure what that means. 
but let's um, move on. You can explain me too. Is that new phrases these kids use? No, I mixed up some axioms between flush the toilet and close the door. I said flush the <laughs> Okay. Anyone who's in speech language pathology knows that's called a spoonerism. <laughs> Uh, there, there was a comment that I had highlighted here, and then you know I, I couldn't pass up the flush the door uh, about the negativity from the fan base and how it it, it trickles into the coaches and then the, the players. I don't. I can see where you know you get some boo birds in Memorial Stadium, and and you know they can hear it, but I feel like the the fan reaction is a reflection to the product that we're being forced fed oh yeah yeah you know we're not gonna sit there and you know you know it's like for a long time i felt like our ad saw us just as easy marks you know huh? they'll continue to fill up the stadium they'll buy the gear they'll travel to watch the games they'll fill up Folsom field they'll go to ireland you know it's kind of like marie antoinette let them eat cake you know and at some point you just get fed up with it you want a good product on the field and yeah, we all want national championships. That you know, we all want those. But at the end of the day, I would start to settle for eight and four, nine and three, ten and two. Maybe one year you have a lot of people graduate, you have some injuries, you dip down to seven and five, but you're constantly working to overcome the obstacles, overcome your shortcomings. Instead, we got served the same pile of gruel week in and week out for almost five seasons. I mean, talk I mean it was it wasn't even like TV dinner. It was basically like prison food. You know, you're sitting there and you're eating and you're like, how can I get excited about this? And I see this game over here and I see this coaching staff coming in year one and they, they don't go 0 and 6 and they don't make excuses about flipping the culture and they don't pile on, you know, the former staff and they don't make false accusations about how the old program, the old strength conditioning coach didn't have them lift. That one of which really pisses me off. Because I was at the Riley Coaches Clinics in 16 and 17. I stood next to Mark Phillip and Cleet McLeod and Jamie Bell as players were squatting in the weight room. And then Frost comes out with this players don't lift. It's like, come on, man. I, with regards to negativity affecting the actual team, I don't think that's true. Yeah, I, I think that's true. Sorry. I, I think that uh, that is true when you have a dysfunctional team like uh, – Scott Frost. People don't trust her coach, so other things start to come into the program. But I think that, uh, you know, when you're a football player, you play for your brothers on the team, mm -hmm. and you play for your coaching staff. You don't play for the fans. I know they're supposed to say, I love the fans, and it's great to see the fans, but if they, the moment the players start playing for the fans, everything's <laughs> lost. Because we're so damn fickle. They, you know, if you fart too loud or you say the wrong thing or during a loss, if you're standing on the sideline uh, laughing and they take a picture of you, you freak out. I mean, I would never play for the fans. No, I will say this. That doesn't I, exist. I agree with you, John, but I will say this. The fan support is the only thing that's kept this program on life support for the past 20 years. It's the only thing. It is. It is, but we shouldn't. And we are fickle. We are fickle. Uh, you know, yeah. I, I I can tell you as a college, as a Husker fan and a college football fan in general, I am a vindictive son of a gun. If I can't be happy as a Husker fan, nobody else in college football deserves to be happy. I'll root for pure anarchy and everybody to lose, and I want them all to be miser miserable just like me. 
I'm the anarchist of college football. Okay. Oh, oh I, I I'm going to put one up. Okay. <laughs> Sam Matney, Scott Lost, Scott Fraud, One Score Scott, which is best? Those are all very good. Here's the thing. Scott let's Fraud. let's go on. Let's go on. Are you doing your We Brian? have a new head coach. We have a new head coach and we have a new basically a new season. So um, I don't know. I guess we can call those, uh, you know, frost, whatever we want. But I guess I'm, I'm kind of quite frankly tired of him. So and, should we move uh, into my uh, list of critical factors? Yeah. Yes. yes yeah. Let's do that. First and foremost, built and sustained success, whether that's as a head coach or a high level coordinator, because uh, I do have, I do have a coordinator on this list. Um, who have they been around? What centers of excellence? Have they worked at? Have they played at? You know, we thought we had one with Scott Frost, you know, being around a lot of big names in the game. Bill Belichick, Bill Parcells, Bill Walsh, Tom Osborne. You know, I guess, you know, that's kind of a moot point. Um, how long have they been doing it? Again, Frost had too small of a sample size at UCF. So, you know, they, there needs to be years of deliberate practice at what they're doing. You know, no hobbies. Singularity of purpose. Have a rage to be the best in your profession. Yes, Greg. You said years of deliberate purpose, I believe? Practice. Deliberate, I'm sorry, uh, deliberate practice. Also, to borrow some of your fancy college words, uh, years of empirical evidence. Empirical evidence, yes. Like, don't don't sell me on Mike Riley would have done great at a school if he had more resources. I don't want to <laughs> miss me with that one. You know, I'm not I'm not going down that road again. Um, recruiting, they have to have an emphasis on recruiting. This is you know, contrary to popular belief, Nebraska did not dominate college football for 40 years with a bunch of guys from Ainsworth and Anselmo and you know, Dubois, Nebraska. You know, we. We supplement it with good walk-ons, but we recruited nationally. We always recruit nationally. We recruited Texas, Louisiana, the East Coast, California. We always got the top guys out of a lot of different places. Program builder and manager, they have their finger on the pulse of everything. You know, they, they have to be a little bit psychotic like Nick Saban, how he is talking to the janitors at their football complex about make sure the floors are swept and mopped a certain way because it's the first thing recruits and their families see when they walk in the door. Adapt or die. Don't hold on to a, you know, like Jimbo Fisher and an offense that expired like a bad jug of milk back in 2014. You know, adapt or die. If you're starting to see your scheme get exploited by somebody in conference that you coach against on a regular basis, you got to start adapting. No cronyism. Nick Saban, when he took the job at LSU and he left Michigan State, he didn't bring a single staff member from there with him because they didn't have any recruiting ties in the South. They were all Midwestern guys. So bringing a staff of guys that, one, that you trust, that you know you're going to work well with, guys who can recruit well, guys who can teach your scheme, guys who can develop players, and get out there and make something happen. Because if we don't have any of those things, if – you know, like this needs to be, this is why co coaching searches use uh, consulting firms because they'll go through all this stuff and they'll find out who's the best fit. I mean, Gallup here in Omaha was the one that identified PJ Fleck for Minnesota, you know? So 
you got to, you know, when, when Trev said that he's going to use an outside consulting firm, I thought that's good. You know, have somebody else helping you on that coaching search and you're not operating it in a silo like Sean Eichhorst when he had Mike Gundy and Kyle Whittingham calling for the job and fit 14. And he goes with Mike friggin Riley from Oregon state. It also, when you get it, it outsider's perspective, you don't get, um, I'm going to use a word. I'm probably going to use it wrong, but you don't get that nepotism type approach. Like you're, you're not married to somebody who has ties to the program. I mean, I, five years ago, every Husker fan loved Scott Frost. And after five years, not too many Husker fans love Scott Frost. So there's there's a relationship that's for now you know, from both directions is, is tarnished. It'll never be the same. So maybe it's not a bad idea to get somebody who has zero ties to Lincoln, Nebraska. Yeah, ideally, yeah, zero ties. Bob Devaney may have never set foot in the state of Nebraska before 1962. You know, this, this weird obsession. And, you know, we're a small – populated state and Nebraska by nature is a very parochial place because we have a small population. This whole obsession with a Nebraska guy, you know, you know, he doesn't need to be from Nebraska to be a Nebraska guy To be a Nebraska guy means, you know, being the kind of coach that we used to have in Tom Osborne, adapt or die constantly working to, overcome the inherent disadvantages that this program has geographically and putting together a team that's ready to go compete on the biggest stage. Have you ever been to Ames, Iowa, though, Trav? Pretty hard to recruit there, man. Lincoln it's a neat little town. It is a neat little town. It, in my defense, I, I, I was trying to highlight a different comment, and then the, the thing jumped on me, so I apologize. All right, uh, now time for my candidates. All right, the first three are 1A, 1B, 1C. You keep offering them money until one of them says yes. Dave Aranda, <laughs> Luke Fickle, Lane Kiffin. You got Dave Aranda, great defensive-minded coach, hires a great staff at Baylor, goes 2-7 and seven his first year, fires his offensive staff, brings in a good offensive staff. And he's very highly regarded in terms of his coaching philosophy and the way that he teaches defense. Teaching, preparation, that's the key there. 1B is Luke Fickle. You can't argue with the success that he's had at Cincinnati, building that program after the dumpster fire that was Tommy Tuberville. 1C, the, yes, Greg? Any concerns about Luke Fickle not being able to overcome certain obstacles when he was at Ohio State. Eh, he was an interim coach for one year, taken over after Jim Tressel fell on the sword. You know, that that's pretty excusable. What's not excusable is Joe Boserman spraying the ball all over. One <laughs> seed, uh, right, the rightful heir to the Nebraska throne, Lane Kiffin. I'm a big Lane Train guy. If nothing else, I just want to see the press conferences. Great recruiter. Um, he's cha I, I've watched a few things about him since he uh, went on his rehabilitation circuit, starting with David. I don't think he's the same uh, dick as he was at USC. Um, number two, Matt Campbell. 
I think I think Campbell's a hell of a coach. I know people in the comment section have mentioned him. Uh, I think that he proved that he can win with subpar talent, and I love his defensive coordinator, Jim Heacock. You know, he really brought in that uh, three safety defense into the you know college football world. You know, fit an extra safety against the run. Um, I think that in the right situation, that he would be a very good recruiter. Uh, number three, Matt Rule. What he did at Baylor after the trial uh, scandal, I think that he would be a huge hire here. This will get some uh, some of the damage. Wait a up. minute. Yeah. It, he looks like an Ewok. <laughs> okay, move on. He, he does. I'm not going to argue that. Uh, this will get some dander up. Number four, PJ Fleck. I don't care what you say about his personality. He'd kill it here. He'd absolutely kill it here. You know, you've said two names tonight that have killed me now. <laughs> you said Sean I. You have said Sean Eichhorst earlier, and and my heart rate dropped to like four. And now you mentioned PJ Fleck as a Nebraska coach. I. You know what, guys? I didn't like PJ Fleck for a long time. And then in the past few years, I've noticed this guy can coach. He can flat out coach. And talking to a lot of Minnesota fans, I'm sure like you do, John, uh, his personality is annoying, but it's genuine. His players love him. They'd run through a brick wall for him. They're, he recruits well. I think that uh, I think PJ Fleck would kill it at Nebraska. I'm not going to say Brett Bielema. Don't worry. You. Okay, you know what? Every I, Wednesday morning at eight a.m., I have a Zoom meeting with a bunch with one of my customers, and you know what I was greeted with this morning? Row the boat. I was, I was greeted with five people who had all changed their backgrounds to really bad photos of Scott Frost, including one photoshopped to Scott Frost pouring a giant glass of bourbon with a really ugly look on his face. That's the abuse you take when you live out of state. And, and Nebraska becomes what we are, which is a laughing stock across the nation. So you know, I, I they would, had they had a royally good time with me. I'm sure they did. You know what? All's fair in love, war, and college football fandom. I can't wait to get back to the point where I can actually talk trash to an opposing fan base. Like, I'm going to Iowa City on Black Friday this year, and I'm like, how am I going to respond to some smart, witty remark? Because I got nothing. I got nothing anymore about this program. Number five, the Bob Stoops type hire when he was defensive coordinator at Florida and went to OU. Jim Leonard from Wisconsin. I think Leonard would be a solid coach. Plays great defense. Uh, and then this is the point where it's a mix of shoot your shot and also we struck out. Chris Kleiman, Lance Leopold. See if Mike Gundy's still interested. Give Dave Doran a call at North Carolina State. And lastly, this is like a we really effed up. Bill O'Brien, Alabama offensive coordinator. I don't know if he uh, – Bill O'Brien anywhere near this program. Yes, he can recruit. I'm, I think I mentioned that on previous uh, episodes. He can recruit. What he did at Penn State in the wake of that scandal was impressive. But – if you get on like some of the national college football message boards and read about how much Bama fans, Bama fans that understand football hate O'Brien for what he's done to their offense, you'll understand. Because they got a Heisman winner 
they got a Heisman winner at quarterback, and their offense is one of the most poorly called offenses in college football. I mean, they basically run four plays. Yeah, they're more supremely talented than just about any other team in college football. But, man, watching their offense, there's no rhyme or reason to its play call. I want to uh, sweet Trav 20, who's been with us all, all evening long and has uh, uh, out, outed himself as an Oklahoma fan, and that's okay. Uh, but I say that. Uh, with, with this comment here, Nebraska fans, I'm pulling for you not this weekend for obvious reasons. Really want you guys back, and we appreciate that. However, he's also been talking about one name that you neglected to mention in your coaching, uh, w- you know, wish list. Howard Meyer, and uh, some of his uh, thoughts on on herbs uh, here. I mean, every I, I think it's Urban Meyer in disguise, guys. Uh, I think it's Urban Meyer trying to get a job. Is he sitting there typing this on his phone while, you know, a girl at the bar is dancing on his lap and he's got his fingers, you know? <laughs> I don't know about that one. Um, but but it's, you know, it, every, every comment that he had uh, included some reference to Urban Meyer. So I just wanted to uh, point that out because that was not a name that you had included well, on, on your list. It's like um, in the movie Gladiator, when uh, uh, Joaquin Phoenix is confronting his father, and he says, uh, "You know, when I was a child, you you wrote a, a letter and you included all of the uh, all of these attributes that would make a good uh, king." He's like, "But I was going over the list, and I realized that I didn't have any, but I had other names, father, like ambition and courage." You know, etc. So um, it, it's really like you, you had a list. Uh, Sweet Trev have, had a list. There's not a whole lot of commonality on that list, it sounds like, because it sounds like his list is one name. Well, I, w- I want to address a few things that, that Trav said here. Um, first of all, that Bob Devaney did the same stuff. He did. Smartphones also didn't exist back then. Stuff like Title IX and, you know, campus awareness, you know, administrators and high-level faculty members sleeping with students. That stuff didn't exist back then. It exists now. Um, the other thing, Trav, I'm assuming that you're an OU fan, hence your rooting interest this weekend. I'm uh, I'm not going to say anything about what Bill Callahan said back in 2004 about OU fans because you're a good fan. By and large, OU fans have always treated me well at the Nebraska-Oklahoma games I've been to. And Legends on Lindsay Street in Norman, great place to get a bite to eat. I, so I am. Uh, we, we have a, a Haas, our travel guide as well. Yeah. Great doctor, doctor offense and travel. You, you know, and like I asked you said, that- it would turn us around, but I mean that guy leaves. That guy leaves every program he's ever left just in absolute chaos. I mean, Ohio State. You know, Ryan Day is a hell of a coach, but I mean, like, look what he did at Florida. And I mean, let's not even get into his Jacksonville Jaguars uh, uh, time. That was bad. I asked Ramsey Nazrela from Eleven Warriors about Urban Meyer, and he said that. He has a shelf life of five years wherever he goes. He would win 
his wife Shelley probably wouldn't move to Lincoln, uh, and he would have good assistance because they'd all know that they'd win and move up because of his winning. But that's, you get a you know sell in your soul there. I think there are better yeah. coaches with more longevity and less problems out there. Well, you you know Trev Albertson is when they asked him what were you looking for in a coach, uh, the his first criteria was man of character. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when I when I heard that on Sunday, I was like, all right, you can officially cross Urban off the list. Yeah, and look. Am I saying that if Urban got hired here, I wouldn't support the hire? I wouldn't support the team? No, hell, I'd, I'd be excited because, you know, he would do those things. But I just think that all in all, it ends up being a bad idea. I'd carry a lot more hand sanitizer with me. <laughs> it, it's the uh, Sweet Trap says it's the mutually beneficial package. Uh, we can turn his image around the same time he turns Nebraska around. Um, yeah, I don't know. That, it, it, a, that's a bone to chew on. Yeah, you know, like there are some points here that, you know, Urban's one of the GOATs, top tier. There aren't better coaches. There are potential better coaches. But what it really gets down to is do you want to see us be in the same spot within five years? You want to see us be in the same spot where we're searching for a new coach within five years because that's generally how it goes. And I just – I can't believe I'm seeing the day that Nebraska fans are embracing Urban Meyer. I, I'm i not quite as old as John, but I never thought I'd live to see the day. I mean, this would be like Nebraska fans wanting to hire Barry Switzer if T.O. would have bounced for the NFL or something. All right, here we go. Coronation for coach. Um, John, you're clearly <laughs> our, our CEO style press conference man. Hoss, you're Dr. Offense for a reason. Mm -hmm. uh, let's see. You'd be in charge of recruiting. Oh, God. I can't get enough people to watch my other podcast or listen to my other podcast with, through marketing, so don't put me in charge of any marketing. And all you, all you would go after in recruiting is those five heart walk-ons from <laughs> Anselm. I want to say shout out to Brody Belt. God bless that kid. You know where would we be without him? Uh, <sighs> I, I, don't make that sound, John. I'm would I, would I meet the man of character part though? They, yeah. we, we would. We would do it like the New York Yankees. We're going to make you get a haircut and shave. Well, screw that. <laughs> <laughs> all, of us, all of us have beards, so I don't think we're going to be uh, filling this staff. No, my my wife uh, was pretty sincere uh, when she said, "Don't ever shave again." Like shave, shave it all. So, yeah, you probably look like you're about twelve, bro. Not with this gray hair, sir. That is pretty gray. Yeah, but at least I have some hoss. All right, we're getting off topic. I'm not going to argue with that, man. <laughs> uh, let, look, we can speculate, uh, you know, coaches in, in the future, but Brett has a question from much earlier in the show. I hope he stuck around to get an answer. Uh, what do you think is the biggest single factor for the absolute meltdown on defense? 
how does the defense go from keeping us in every single game last year to uh, being bottom 10 nationally? I think maybe not the, perhaps not the biggest single factor, but last year we had all the super seniors. You know, we had a lot more guys with reps. had a lot more uh, and, and things that we, we kind of talked about already. Um, but we had uh, guys who were NFL ready, NFL caliber, NFL quality, um, and, and extra, you know, extra time in the locker room. So uh, that's my take. Haas, I, 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 as always, defer to your expertise. Yeah, the, between the super seniors and the fact that we had a lot of NFL caliber talent on that defense last year, guys who were either in the league or, you know, th- were thought well of enough to the point to, you know, get a free agency or a training camp tryout, guys like, I mean, Damian Daniels got cut by the Texans, but he should have stuck around for another year because he dominated Tyler Lindenbaum in the game against Iowa. Ben Stille is on the roster with, you know, the Miami Dolphins. You had JoJo Domans with the Colts. You had Cam Taylor-Britt. You had Markel Dismuke, and you had Deontay Williams. So these are guys that were talented. They had familiarity with the scheme. They could cover up a lot of deficiencies within the scheme. And now we're breaking in a lot of new players. And also, Chenander's shift from the tight front with three down linemen to more of a 4-2-5 look, I think that there's a lot of issues in guys not being up to speed on you know executing the calls, in addition to just bad defensive play calling in general. I guess for me it's going to go back to still the dysfunction thing. I think if you don't have – if people don't have faith in each other, if they don't trust each other to do their jobs on the field – uh, you're not. It doesn't matter what your scheme is. It doesn't matter what your coach teaches you. The, the team doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And that, that's where I have the. That's where the, I have the hope that Mickey Joseph can somehow motivate this team to, I don't know, at least win six games or five more games so that they can get to a bowl. You know, you know what? So that they're fun to watch. Just, you know, part of, if if I was a Minnesota fan, Saturday night against Georgia Southern would have been fun. Because I would have just ended the game and went, oh, well, you know, we'll get him next time, whatever. But 45 points to a guy who came into a program that ran the triple option and a few months later yep. turned it into a, you know, we heard all this stuff about how many years it would take to build a program. And Clay Helton in a few months brings a up-tempo passing offense, blows our doors up, walks away with $1.4 million. You know, I know I've said that before, but that should stick with people. The fact that he actually did that. And then, no, it doesn't take forever to build a program. You know? Well, that's the thing that I look back on through, like, when we started 0-6 in 2018. Oh, you got to flip the culture. You got to flip the culture. It's like, culture is bad. It was a losing culture. Yes, it's not 0-6 bad. I mean, we should have known the second we lost to Troy in 2018. You know? And instead, you know, Nobody asks tough questions. Nobody calls them out to the carpet, you know, and yet this is, you know, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of nepotism and hypocrisy within Nebraska football. Can I, can I right there? What's up, John? Can I, okay, the Mike L. Severe stuff came out. You listened to Damon Benning's program and he said some stuff. Tell us what that was. Yeah, Benning was basically saying to people on Twitter, like, you know, shout out Husker Twitter. Uh, 
you know, when they tell these stories now that he's out, it's, well, why weren't you the watchdog while he was coaching? And why didn't you let people know? And he's like, because when he was coaching and we said this, it'd be, why don't you, why do you not like Scott? Why, you know, why do you hate the program? He's like, so basically he's saying, damned if you do, damned if you don't. You know? And it's the same thing. Like the stories always come out about people after the fact. But, you know, our media, you know, they'll crucify a decision, you know, by, I don't know, I'm just using an example here. It was a bad play call. But Danny Langsdorf against Iowa in 2015 on fourth and three for throwing a fade route to Brandon Riley. Yet they refuse to ever ask Frost the tough questions when he's throwing screens to Jack Stoll on the goal line against Purdue using Wandale Robinson as a lead blocker in 2019. Got to cut both ways. That's all I'm looking for here. You know, instead, you know, we we pick and choose. Yeah, I I guess I look at the Nebraska media and I think uh, this when we I okay I think we both know more stories are probably going to come out as time goes on, but uh, I guess I feel like they've lost a lot of credibility. So oh, and maybe got- that's my shot at them. You know, when you got the Nebraska administration and, you know, calling the World Herald to uh, force feed Frost articles down everybody's throat in the fall of 17, you know, that really primes the pump there for all this to happen. Yeah. Okay. Don't lionize a coach before he's coached a game at your university. That's the lesson to take away from this. I mean, we did it with Bill Callahan, too. Remember the West Coast offense shirts that look like the West Coast Choppers logo? I mean, the the reborn with the B and the O capitalized, you know. And, yes, Bill Moose was the worst hire Nebraska could have ever made. You know, oh, that Troy oh. game, I, I was down on the field for that game, and I was – it was 125 degrees on the field that day, and I was at one end of the field uh, – oh, come on, the guy that ran Hell Varsity is a friend of mine, Aaron. Aaron Babcock? We both have our lo- – yeah, we both have our long lenses up, and we see down the field, and literally there's a hole because they motioned our linebackers out of the way, and there's a giant hole, and we both put our cameras down after the play is over, and he looks at me and goes, both of us could have ran through that hole. <laughs> I, know, I know exactly the play you're talking about, too. Yeah, and it was just like, oh, my God. is this? Why does this take so long to figure this shit out? You know, and Haas, I have to ask you. Um, I mean, you you and I go back on the podcast now five years, uh, uh-huh. and it was the Minnesota game that we did the immediate that night reaction. And and you remember parts of that conversation. I don't even remember that game. You know, and that's yeah. not for it's that's not for a lot of cool banquet and. Tito's and orange juice screwdrivers during that game. At what point, you know, with your with your immense this is this is a compliment to you, so so please take it as but with your immense football brain knowledge and ability to retain information, at what point does it become a burden when we have, you know, ten the last eight, ten years like we've had? Um it one, I I love football to the point where like, you know, yeah, I, I, it's a the ability to recall certain things. You know, it's like, hey, you know, like sport I love, sport I grew up playing, it's the sport that you know I 
study film, study playbooks in my spare time. So like, it's a good thing, but at the same time, it becomes a burden because when you're seeing something that you know is not right and you try to tell somebody, you know, you're watching the game with some friends, let's say, and you try to tell them, you know, yeah, that this is wrong and that's wrong. And people are so, you know, they've lionized somebody like Frost to the point that they have. It gets to the point where people don't really want to hear it and they don't want to hear it. And even if you tell it to them, they don't want to. <coughs> Excuse me. So they just, you know, they'd rather just believe all as well. And you see that a lot with our media too, you know, saying, hey, we're 0-6, this is bad, doesn't sell newspapers. You know what it does? Hey, we got to flip the culture, you know. it's It, it can be a burden. It, I think that's why, like, my enjoyment in Nebraska football for the past four years has crept steadily down each year because it's like I know this isn't a good product. You know, it's, it'd be like if somebody, you know, was like, educated at a you know like a theater broadway school in new york city you know wanting to be an actor and actress and they go and watch you know a rendition of oklahoma at their local community theater and they're like wow this really sucks this is not good you know it's kind of like that but maybe maybe you in the fall ready to and excited to watch the game i'm a glutton for punishment i guess but and oddly, I don't know if it was a little uh, uh, subconscious uh, poll that you said Oklahoma because we play them this week, or if no, that's the only musical. Musical guy, if you can't tell. <laughs> uh, but it's it's an it, the we. I think that the over. The common theme, the the overlaying sentiment that I've seen on on you know Husker Nation online, is the, the players sure are trying hard, you know, but it's they're just not in in they're out of position. They're you know I think one of the things that we could say the last four years is player development, right? And probably going back to the Riley era too. It's but you can get all the the four star and five heart guys you want, but at Nebraska should be able to up their, you know, progress their, their ability. And, and we never really saw significant strides, I don't think. I mean, and then the tr there's the transfer portal. So you can, you know, you pick, you know, whatever item you need uh, off the buffet. We never, and it, I'm, I'm not going to go into like old man Greg here. Uh, shut up, Josh, because I know what, what you're going to say. Um, but, to it makes me miss the days of like all right you a kid signs with you out of high school and that's where he goes you know you don't have the ability to to plug in parts like like you're going through the Sears or Mopar catalog you know you know and you bring up a good point with our recruiting and you see this you really see this in the Big Ten when we sign a player at Nebraska and he gets on the field as a freshman. You either see it immediately that he's a player or you don't. Other schools, you'll see you know a young guy get in there contributing special teams, spot duty, whatever, and then he gets better and better as the years go on. They develop. Our guys, if they don't show flashes as a freshman or sophomore, it's like they die on the vine. They just you know it just peters out. Uh, 
threw in another Sopranos quote reference for the fans of the show as well. Um, it petered out, died on the And that's really frustrating because when we have offensive linemen who by their third year in the program, they haven't cracked the starting lineup, you can take it to the bank that they're a bust. They're not going to develop. And then you see Wisconsin, Iowa, Minnesota, Illinois, all these schools, fourth-year juniors, fifth-year seniors. They develop over the course of time. So that's why development is such a big piece of this next hire. And that's why, you know, people talk about Matt Campbell's lack of recruiting at Iowa State. Well, guess what? He develops guys. In Nebraska, he'd have more money to go out and get assistance. Good recruiters. You you know, development. Big Ten's a development league. You got to have it. Okay. How many counters is Oklahoma going to run against us on Saturday? Oh, we're going to see a lot of counter. Uh, we're going to see basically every run scheme in the book. Their offensive coordinator, Jeff Levy, is damn good. Uh, that was huge for them to get him from Ole Miss. So, yeah, we got to be prepared to spill counter to the outside, box it back in. Shander's probably got to opt to box it back in, so Garrett Nelson will have himself a busy day. Uh, you're going to – they're going to run a lot of stuff at us. They they use their tight ends very creatively. They love the pop pass, and uh, yeah, I'm hoping that we can hold on. I think we can score points on Oklahoma. It's just going to come down to getting a couple of stops. So do we uh, do we expect them to run the ball a lot more than throw it, or what do we expect out of Oklahoma? It's a mix. Um, I haven't watched their. I, I watched a little bit of their Kent State game. But I, they played UTEP in the season opener. I haven't watched any of that. But um, Lebby, when he was at Ole Miss, it's, it's a very balanced offense. If they can gash you with the run, they'll take that all day. They need to mix in some play action, some pop passes, some RPOs. They'll do that too. It's a precise passing game as well. Dylan Gabriel was damn good at UCF, so we're concerned about him against uh, our defense. And uh, like I said, if we can score points, defense has got to get a couple of stops. All right, guys. So what uh, we, uh, yeah. I, I'm going to show this. Uh, this is what I wrote down before the week one game – or, I'm sorry, week zero game in Ireland uh, when it was the three of us and Todd. This is all of our predictions for the whole season. Clearly – I mean, you might as well just rip it up, right? It's it's a moot point. Everything is going to change. I will show you the bottom here. We had a couple of seven and fives, a six and six, and shoo, buddy, my twelve and zero does not look too good. Uh, three games into the into the season, I'll own that. But we all know I'm a homer who likes Kool Aid. Let us dive into predictions this is we're almost to an hour and a half god bless our our, our yeah viewers and, 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 and uh, listeners who've made it this long and for keeping uh, not not only keeping our conversation going but having their own conversations as well um i can do what i want josh this is my show um but <laughs> he says you can't throw my picks out now um i'm not throwing them out I, you know 10 and 2 is perfectly respectable right no, <laughs> uh, but but this this show, this new format of the show uh, being being live to you all is, is a lot of fun. 
because the interactions are great. Uh, and, and we appreciate everybody who, who's been with us from the very beginning and, and those brave souls who are, who are with us uh, to the very end. So let us go and get, and get into our predictions. Uh, our our, our uh, Sooner friend, Sweet uh, Trav, says 48-17 Oklahoma. And nice enough to follow that up with uh, no offense. <laughs> I I, at this point, look, we're one and two with a loss to Georgia Southern, and we just fired our, our head coach. So it, it, it truly is a it, it, anybody's guess, right? Uh, in, in perhaps other – oh, that one just hurts. <laughs> in other situations, maybe if it's not, uh, you know, I think number seven, correct me if I'm wrong, number seven, uh, Oklahoma – coming in, then maybe the team rallies around, uh, you know, if it's a, I mean, I, Nebraska's not in any position to say just a, any team. Uh, maybe if it's just North Dakota coming in or something, we can say, oh, they're going to rally for a victory. Oh, um, this is, uh, Haas, I, I'm going to let you go uh, first because we'll, we'll get it started and I'll, I'll continue to show some of the other predictions from from uh, the the viewers uh, here while you go. All right. Hoss, Hoss, uh, Hoss, Hoss, Hoss. You know how I gave you so much flack for not only drinking the Kool-Aid, but uh, totally overindulging on the Kool-Aid? Yeah. <laughs> yep. All right. Um, my cold, dark Husker fan soul has, like, it's like Ebenezer Scrooge on Christmas morning, like, my heart's growing a little bit, you know, since Sunday. <laughs> I'm starting to feel a little bit excited again. I know that I'm going to regret this, and any OU fans, any Nebraska fans on here as well that want to give me flack after the fact, I'm going to pick the upset, Tom, and I'm going to get specific for you. I'm going to drink the Kool-Aid, you know. I'm going to mix in a little Kool-Aid with the Coors Banquet here, you know, big red Kool-Aid in there. I'm going to say Nebraska is up. 20 to 17 on Oklahoma late gets a turnover. Anthony Grant salts it away with a walk-off touchdown to win 27-17. Anthony Grant runs for a buck 60 and three touchdowns. Defense. <laughs> All right. I like it. Yep. <laughs> it's 11 a.m. Is it my game. turn? It's an 11 a.m. game, so I get to do my favorite thing for 11 a.m. games. Wake Drink. up, lift weights. Come back home, then start drinking for the game. Simple is it my turn? Yes. Yeah. Well, do you remember Wisconsin beating us seventy to thirty-one? Oh God! I have so many stories. Since you brought, since, since you brought up Sean Eichhorst, I'm going to bring up that game. What happened in that game is that who was it, Bert? Let his offensive coordinator run the place he wanted to run, didn't he? Matt Canada, the Steelers. Yeah, we never saw their plays coming because he wouldn't let him run those those jet sweeps before, and he said, pull the plugs out, kick their ass. And they did. So I'm thinking that Scott Frost put a hand, put put just was completely screwy on the the offense and the offense that we could be running for example logan smothers has a package and comes in with the option plays 
drives down the field and scores because Oklahoma is like, okay, we kind of expected that, but we're not really as ready for it as we thought we were. And then, uh, you know, the rest of the offense uh, does okay. It does enough. And the defense gets two turnovers, and Nebraska wins 31-28 to because, you know, we have to have a one-score game. <laughs> it bowed, bowed by the fact that we have taken a big cancer and cut it out of the body of this program, and we are cancer-free kind of. And we'll see what happens when you're cancer-free playing Oklahoma. I don't know what we do to deserve um, some of our, our our viewers and listeners. Here's another uh, 34-31 uh, field goal winning. But but apparently you said something about Logan's mysterious package, uh, John. So that that tickled a particular uh, funny bone uh, for for a friend of the show, Josh. Um, and. and Good. Uh, I, I've seen. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna start saying it like this. Sweet Trav. Uh, say this a few times about uh, Brent. A little bit more classy uh, than his predecessor, Lincoln Riley. He doesn't think he's going to embarrass uh, Nebraska. We we appreciate that. We're all about not being embarrassed. Um, I guess it's time for my prediction then. Okay. Uh, I. I think the talent is there. That, that's what perhaps is the most aggravating. You know, you go shopping, you go um, off menu or off menu a la carte. Uh, take the the best of, of what you can get from you know receiving core, from quarterback, defensive end. You know, Russian Oshan Mathis. I mean, you. I feel like the talent is there. Something there has been. In energy, there have there have been some unseen rains, um, that, you know, like that have been holding them back. It's going to be Mickey Joseph's first game as Nebraska interim head coach, but not only that, it's going to be his first game in any head coaching capacity. There are going to be. A, I see a, a world in which Nebraska gets blown out of their own stadium, right? I mean, because, you know, we've seen it. Um, but this Kool-Aid is good, right? It's so tasty. Uh, Hastings, Nebraska's very own Kool-Aid. These players, are they're going to have to play for something. They're not playing for their, their hometown home state golden boy head coach anymore. They have to play for whatever pride they have, right? Um, I'll, I'll – with the caveat of knowing that I'm likely to be wrong, right, I still say somehow Nebraska shocks the world on a big noon kickoff Saturday on Fox – and in his first game, does what Scott Frost could not do in four seasons and change, and that's get a signature win. Mickey Joseph, Mark Whipple, Eric Janander, if we have to, uh, are going to lead this Nebraska team 
to victory. And I'm going to say it's going to be in the vicinity of... Mm-hmm. 34-24. You know what's going to happen at the beginning of this game, Haas? We're going to throw a pick six or something. <laughs> first ball. No, no, we're not. We're not. We're going to win the toss and defer in the first play of the game. Onside kick. Nebraska recovers. We're off and running. It's like Bill Callahan. Running off speed options. You know, I've actually thought about that. I've actually thought, I wonder how much does get installed during the week as a nice little homage to the days gone by. You know, you know, maybe some belly option, maybe some power eye at the goal line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see it. I can see it. Unfortunately, I could also see the pick six, so I'm really trying not to go down that road. I, I can see myself going to bed soon, too. <laughs> yes, <damn. laughs> Okay. Well, this has been fun. This has been fun. <laughs> um, I didn't know what to expect out of this uh, – this episode because a lot has changed since we got, since we, you know, got together last Wednesday night. Uh, we were going and thinking, you know, I, I think I said something to the point of playing with a chip on their shoulder, you know, going to win by 40 something points against Georgia Southern. Well, that didn't happen. Um, and then boom, less than, Right around maybe 12 hours after that game ended, Frost is out. Mickey Joseph announced as the interim. I can't say we will never revisit Scott Frost and his time, his era uh, at Nebraska, because that's what we do. We still talk about Frank Solich. We still talk about Bill Callahan, Bo Pelini, Mike Ratherhill. We still talk about Tom Osborne, Bob Devaney, Bill Jennings. We we <laughs> there's there's not a, a coach in the modern era that we don't go back and discuss mostly because John's been alive for all of them. And then some, um, but th- this show ended up being a lot more enjoyable, uh, from my perspective. Um, and again, we, we can't do that without you, uh, viewers, listeners, uh, engaging us with all of your great, uh, Terry. So thank you. Please come back again. Next week for the Five Heart Podcast, uh, join a couple of old men uh, not yelling because it's their therapy session on Monday nights uh, with uh, uh, Todd and John. What? Oh, do you yell? Just keep going. Just keep going. My God. I, I haven't had t- time to listen to this week's episode yet, so I'm sure I'm missing something. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> We're, we're very excited that you're here with us, and we can't wait to see you again next week. Oklahoma's up. Our predictions are in. Make sure you follow Coronation and at the number five heart podcast on Twitter during the game for, uh, I don't, can't say it's the best commentary, but it sure is commentary. Um, but for John Dam Johnston, our founder and fearless leader at coronation.com, for Dr. Offense, Ostreuter. I'm Greg Mahochko. This has been the Five Heart Podcast, where we remind you this week and every week that five heart 
is all the heart you need. John? Go Big Red! Win the damn game. I think it would be appropriate for Mickey Joseph to just get a signature win one game into his career after Frost couldn't do it for over four years. That's my end of the show 